1: Okay, welcome in. This is the Thursday Deep Dive episode. We got Ian Gray on the line, or on Zoom, not on the line. Um, And we have Ryan here, too, as always. We're talking Formula One. And to introduce it, I'm going to ask Ian, Ryan, did you guys watch the documentary at all? Yes. Um, And what were your thoughts?
0: I watched the first episode, and my thoughts are I'm going to start binging it very soon. Um, It was... It totally was... (laughs) hitting all my buttons. I love sports and love competition. And, um, it was, it was an exciting first episode and I'm looking forward to getting more into it.
2: The British announcers,
0: (laughs) they got good accents. Of course, of course. Ryan,
2: Ryan. Uh, yeah, I liked it. I think I watched the first three or four episodes. It actually gives you a decent grasp of how the business works too. Yeah. That's a fun part of
1: it too. Yeah.
2: Or at least how the league works. Um,
1: how the teams get paid. Right. Yeah. Any guys, you have any favorite drivers? favorite
2: teams i know ryan's a ferrari guy i'm not well into the
1: stock uh, back in the day
2: i like lewis hamilton wow. i think you're going <laughs> on you're just going to number one we talked about Greg. we talked about we'll mention this greg Maffey has a great life
0: i think lewis hamilton's got a great life as well he's yeah
1: he's done mm-hmm. the best of all time ian i know you've only watched one episode.
0: yeah i'm mean, gonna have to get a little deeper but I'll, I'll get back to you guys on that one
1: all right well we're gonna be talking formula one but before we do we got to talk about our sponsor 7 Investing. And there was big news out recently. The prices are rising in July. We're still going to be doing the same promo code with them. CCM, get $10 off your first month. But if you want to get it now, it'll only be $17 a month for the foreseeable future. So if you were thinking of subscribing, this is the right time to go in. They're trying to do well by their early subscribers. Look on the website for all the details as well. But if you want to use our code, CCM, $10 $10 off, seven stock picks a month, great tracker by all the team, Ryan. Yeah,
2: and I, this isn't just us pump faking you guys either to like get you to sign up now before the price <laughs> hike comes in, but they've added a lot of stuff and they have sort of this library of content now compared yeah. to when they started last year. So it makes, I thought this might even be a little overdue, but you've got a month now to go f- look at all those wrecks. look at all the... Oh, yeah different articles that they put up on all their uh different recommendations yeah, even so, with the
1: price rise it's still well worth uh the price you pay uh but yeah. ryan do you want to introduce formula one
2: yeah so the structure with formula one is a little wonky so it's a tracking stock of liberty media who owns formula one uh and then the formula one company holds exclusive rights to the formula one world championship so when you look up the ticker it's gonna be there's like F the the one for Formula One is F W O N A,
1: but and there's B and W and uh, K too. Right, it's kind of complicated.
2: Yeah, and so it gets uh, a, yeah, that structure part gets a little complicated, and we're going to talk about it briefly. Or Ian will under the governance section, but just the bulk of this is going to be about the business uh, that sort of underlies the tracking stock. Um, but Formula One the league conducts a nine month long season that holds roughly 20 or more races, which they call Grand Prix's uh, uh, ar- all around the globe. There's ones in Monaco. I think there's one, we'll talk about it here. There, I think there's one in Texas, there's right? There's
1: one in Austin. Yeah. And they just signed a 10 year deal with Miami. There's, there's one in some
2: in the, the East Middle East. East. There are some uh, in Rio or one in Rio. It's Australia, all over the place. Singapore. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, there's 20 or so, sorry, there's 10 different teams. Each team has two drivers, uh, so 20 drivers all together. And they're competing for all these different Grand prix. You get points towards the ultimate championship, or there's two ultimate championships. There's the driver's championship, and then there's the constructor's championship. Um, And so some of the teams, if you're trying to picture who they are, it's like Ferrari, Mercedes, Red Bull, McLaren, uh, Haas, uh, which so is the American? We're not
1: doing too well right now. But <laughs>
2: um, and then Formula One generates revenue through race promotions, broadcasting rights, ads, sponsorships. But the largest payout is their payout to the teams. So the league pays out uh, money to the teams, and that kind of makes up the bulk of their cost of goods sold um, when you look at it on an income statement. And then uh, the teams get a budget or allocation money from the league that they get. And there's prize money for winning. And uh, am I getting all that right? Yeah. The, the budgets now come in thanks to Liberty Media.
1: Uh, oh, I mean, yeah, I guess they're funding all the upfront cost, stuff like that. Yeah. They make money through broadcast TV rights, sponsorships, ticket sales, kind of like a traditional sports league would.
2: Yeah. And it, the not to overcomplicate things, the ultimate goal is just to increase viewership. If you increase viewership, revenue rises because it goes through all those different things where you have. Uh, more value for advertisers. You have uh, broadcasting rights are more expensive. And Sell so, more tickets. Right. Uh, but I'll get into history. Grand Prix motor racing across Europe really started in the 20s and 30s. And f- the formula part, formula basically just means it's the set of rules that cars have to follow. You can't have like one car with rocket ship thrusters on the back and then like one that's poorly made. Or, there's certain structured rules. Um, and then after World Two, Formula One was actually created. They had plans to make it, but uh, the, you know, the you, war you, took you precedence. Said, yeah,
1: you, you said World Two, it's World War Two, right? Yeah. World War Two. Okay.
2: Is that what I said? Yeah. All right. And uh, the first world championship actually took place in 1950 in the UK. So they just celebrated their 70th anniversary. Uh, and in the early days, the big manufacturers weren't, really that dissimilar from the big manufacturers today uh ferrari alfa romeo i think has a team through
1: yeah they're they're part of red bull possibly i'm not an expert on the sport but yeah
2: right and then there's mercedes maserati was big i don't think are they still in it i don't think so. some of the names have kind of changed but they'd all they'd all kind of competed before the war and then they'd made this formalized league afterwards but Anyway, racing kind of grew as a big sport. And then between 2000 and 2015, Formula One struggled a bit and it was plagued a lot by political controversy. There was apparently at one point, I think in 2008, there was like an intentional crash, stuff like that, to kind of, it was uh, not what you want from a league, a sports league, I guess you could say. And Liberty Media, which was run by Greg Maffee and which John Malone serves as the chairman for, acquired a controlling interest in Formula One in early 2017. Um, and they've since, I believe implemented a budget or they're trying to implement a budget to make the competition more competitive. Because if you look at it, there's times when teams go on runs where they win like 10 in a row or like four years in a row and they have the highest budget, they can spend the most on the car. They can spend for the best drivers, stuff like that. They're trying to essentially put a salary cap on it. Um,
1: it's kind of like if the NBA, like a sport where if you have the most talent or you have the best stuff you're probably going to win if it ha- if it was like baseball with unlimited spending. So that, that makes it really uncompetitive and they're trying to reverse that.
2: So. Okay. Uh, but that's pretty much it for the history. Uh, I don't know when the tracking stock went public. I, I think it was, yeah, it they out.
1: acquired, I think it was around 2017. So it's been a few yeah. years now. Ian, did you have anything or I'm going to hit industry? Nope. Okay. I'll uh, hit industry. So I'm basically can I give an overview of how big the sport is right now. So according to the company, in 2019, it hit almost 1.9 billion views across all platforms in the 2019 season. And that was the highest since 2012. Top markets currently are Brazil, Germany, Italy, UK, and the Netherlands. So it's a huge sport in Europe. 2020 was a tough year, as we'll get into with earnings and stuff like that. So I saw a 10% dip in viewership. And you know, competition, it's hard to quantify with a stock like this or a company like this. You know nascar is kind of a competitor in, the, in america indycar is a competitor in america and there's moto gp which is motorcycle stuff but they're really all different sports so it's kind of hard to tell i guess you know in america which they're trying to push into a lot I, you know they're going to come up against nascar and indycar and stuff like that and then some other things investors might want to look at but may or may not mean anything are their social media following so instagram is at three 13.3 million twitter is at 5.7 million and YouTube is at 5.5 million subs, and the YouTube channel has over 3 billion views. I think that's a good tracker of kind of how popular the sport is worldwide. Um, Ian, do you wanna talk about management, ownership, and governance? Because it's complicated with this company.
0: <laughs> yeah, if it is, but I, I think we can make at least enough sense of it to move forward. So as you were as we were been talking about, Liberty Media owns, now owns 100% stake in Formula One. So they're the sole owner of Formula One. Um, they own a variety of other things as well, including um, Sirius XM, the Atlanta Braves, and the real estate related with the Atlanta Braves. So they, they own quite a bit. And what they've done with their company is actually broken the company up into three tracking stocks. And so they have the Braves Group, which primarily consists of the Atlanta Braves, they have um, the Liberty Sirius XM Group, which primarily consists of Sirius XM. Um, I think Pandora might still be in there. Um, there was something else in there that I recognize, but anyways, kind of more music radio type related stuff. And then they have the formula one group, which includes formula one. Um, there's some other stuff in it. Like uh, they own a little bit of actually the Braves group. There's a little bit of like cross ownership there. And then they own clear or just a small stake in clear. It must've been some sort of uh, venture capital investment. That's the um, thing at the airports now where you can supposedly walk I through faster. Surveillance. <laughs> The thing right. I think they're sneaking no.
1: into our brains. It yeah.
0: allows
2: you to cut the line, right? To okay. cut the line. Yeah. The line, it,
1: upload your, uh, give all your information, give your eyeballs to the, to the government. <laughs> That's what I think.
0: Right. Exactly. So anyways, they own a few different things in there. They also own like um, a stake in the uh, Denver Nuggets um, arena and they're, they own some of their own SPAC, they own part of an IndyCar team. So anyways, it's not just Formula One that's part of the Formula One group um, that this tracking stock that we're talking about today is, but it's primarily Formula One. Um, so the chairman of the overarching company, Liberty Media is John Malone. The company's CEO is Greg Matthews, we've, as we've mentioned. Um, the Formula One CEO was initially Chase Carey following the acquisition, who was an American who had experience in kind of the media world. I think he worked for AT&T and a couple others. Um, But, um, and he really kind of, there was some skepticism about him when he first took over Formula One because he was an American, didn't really know the sport that well, but he really tried to, not, um, Americanize the sport. That was the fear, but try and kind of modernize the the sport and equal the playing field a little bit. And so he implemented some stuff like you were talking about, Ryan, this, um, kind of salary cap type idea so that they, he, he talked about it being, um, the Lester chance, right? That some underdog could actually win every once in a while, um, like in the premier league a bunch of years ago. So, um, he's, he really kind of pushed forward some efforts like that. He also, um, increase the value of a lot of the teams immediately by um, creating a bond necessary for new teams. And so um, I think it was $200 million. So basically increasing the prestige of the teams and the cost to start a team, which then raised the value of all the other teams. And so anyways, he did some things for the sport that the owners were really happy with. He just stepped down as CEO and Stefano Domenicali was made CEO and um, and he is more of a Formula One insider. So he was just made the CEO in January of 2021. He was previously, he was the team principal for Team Ferrari, which is kind of like the, correct me if I'm wrong, but that's kind of like the manager of the team or the general manager of a team um, in American sports. And he was made the team principal um, of Ferrari. And he was that in that position from 2008 to 2014 and had quite a bit of success during that run. Um, I think they won uh, maybe four championships. And then the CEO of Lamborghini, the car company, um, from 2016 to 2020. And so I've been very involved in that world. Um, whereas, so, whereas Kerry was more of an outsider, but made kind of really well-regarded efforts to level the playing field in the sport, Stefano is known for knowing the sport inside and out and is more of an insider and hopefully going to, um, be good for taking the, taking the league to the next level.
1: Yeah, that's fascinating. It's, it's interesting to see what they're going to do with this new management team. I think that was a great overview of the complications We gave you a tough task this weekend. I'll hit the valuation quick. Market cap is about $9.34 billion from when I was looking up. There's three different tickers, but I was looking at the FWONA one. Um, enterprise values end up fairly similar, but again, make sure to do your own research, get all this stuff down because I'm not gonna be able to get it covered entirely in the podcast. Enterprise value is about 11.3 billion. Um, all 2020 valuation ratios are totally screwed up. Um, their revenue got hit really, really bad. So you're not really betting on trailing 12 month multiples here. Uh, but if we wanna base it off of the 2019 income statement, EB to revenue is 5.6, EB to operating cash flow is 38. I was using Coifin. They use their separate EBITDA number but it's like operating income except uh, instead of earnings. So they kind of do it. They call it OEBDA. Uh, I think that's just their internal thing. So their EBDA, OEBDA, O I B D A was about 23.4 based on the 2019 numbers. And the big question is, you know, if slash when financial return to
2: 2019
1: numbers and continue growing. That could be this year, might be the year after, who knows? Uh, but I'll keep that simple. Ryan, do you want to hit the news?
2: Yeah, and I'm going to use the 2019. 2019- Numbers as well, just so you get sort of a normalized view, because if you think about 2020, a lot of the races, there weren't a lot of fans there, um, which is a huge part of uh, Formula One's business. Uh, Um, They only had 17, so some of that was shut down. Only 17 races. Typically, I believe this year they're supposed to do 23. Yep. So, uh, I'll just dig into the numbers. They had $2 billion in revenue in 2019. That was up 11% from the year before. They had $450 million in adjusted operating income. That was about 20% from the year before. Uh, and then operating cash flow was about $300 million. So, that puts them at an operating cash flow margin of just below 15%. Uh, the company has about 31% gross margins because it's a little bit like Spotify in that the league has to pay out the teams, the way Spotify has to pay out rights holders. That's yeah, kind of right. the way I think about it. You yeah, have to. Yeah. Yeah. And that's always going to be that I'll talk about it later, but it limits a little bit of operating leverage because those teams are always going to want a slice of the pie yeah, as a percentage um, because they see it as them earning that money. Yeah. That doesn't mean uh, the bit, the league as a whole can't grow. Um, but there was almost 450 million in depreciation and amortization costs. It's a little hard to tell what that was from because they didn't actually break it out. And then, so I just say, basically just pay attention to operating cash yeah. flow and free cash flow. It's
1: complicated. You got to do your own research, but this one too much information for for just to show.
2: Yeah. And there's not a whole lot of stock-based compensation. They had 21 events in 2019 and they're expecting to have 23 events in 2021. Um, that's just added revenue uh, yeah. with each event. Uh, but there's there's sort of a cap to that because logistically they can't ship the cars to and from place to place to have like 40 Grand prix in a year.
1: Yeah, max is going to be 23-ish, 25 maybe.
2: Yeah, and so there's sort of a, a threshold there and the nine-month season, they have to get it all done in that time.
0: Yep. all right. Ian, do you want to hit balance sheet? Yep. and before I dive into the balance sheet, I'll just make one last comment on tracking stocks. You're probably tired of hearing about it now, but they were popular in the 90s um from what I've read to kind of help companies break out the results of their more traditional business and then their um more like uh aggressive internet businesses and so that they could get a higher multiple in their internet business and really show people the results they're getting. And so that's what they've traditionally been used for. In this case, um it's it's kind of just to see the different operating groups here. But what it means is that sometimes these balance sheet items, if I'm understanding this correctly, sometimes these balance sheet items can actually move around between the tracking stocks because they're still all under one company. And so you really want to do your research here to understand the management team because at the end of the day, um, you're really trusting uh, Greg Mathy, C- the CEO of um, Liberty Media Group, to correctly allocate things to formula one group and that you're, you're trusting his decision-making at the end of the day. So that being said, and that some of these balance sheet items have actually changed in the last couple of years, but currently the formula one group has cash of about $1.7 billion on the balance sheet. They have goodwill and other intangibles of nearly $8 billion. So it actually makes up the majority of assets is are these intangible assets, which isn't something I'd love to see. And it means that some of that type of stuff could get written down and be a hit to, Um, Gap Um, earnings—it's not that's not a huge concern in a case like this because we're not valuing it based on cap earnings. It's actually generally not not making money on a gap basis because of all the depreciation and amortization. Um, And then they have debt of about three point five five billion, which is a little more concerning. They have mostly most of that is a term loan at about a three point five percent interest rate, and it's tied to the LIBOR rate. but they say they have interest swaps too. So if interest rates were gonna rise, it would stay closer to that 3.5% interest rate. Um, and then they also have convertibles are portion of that debt. Um, from what I could read, it looked like they would not be converting unless there's some significant appreciation in the stock. Um, but you should also uh, do your own research there. Um, the, the major concern for me on this balance sheet is just the amount of debt. Um, they've only got about two times EBITDA to interest expense in a normalized year of 2019. And so um, they're paying a big chunk of that EBITDA, that cash flow um, and interest, which it works, it's fairly highly levered. It works if EBITDA is steady, um, but if they were to have a prolonged downturn, um, it it would be a little bit of a problem, I think. It it, it seemed to me, and it's a different type of business than we're typically looking at, but it seemed to me like there's a lot of debt on this business.
1: Yeah, you got to expect cash flow is going to grow for sure. It reminds me a bit, and it's not apples to apples, but it reminds me a bit of IAC and Match Group. Match Group was their best asset. You could maybe argue Formula One is now um, Liberty Media's best asset. And with Match Group, they're like, all right, we're going to, we'll give you $3 billion in debt when you guys leave us. They're like, shareholders are like, all right, and I guess we'll take it. Uh, but no, I guess it's how it goes.
2: I mean, management with this company is not a stranger to debt and they've been in this
1: cowboys yeah yeah
2: they've been in this business at least john malone for a long time uh and they really understand the media landscape
1: yeah Uh, if there's anyone you don't have to worry about debts these guys i mean they got such a track record so yeah all right uh let's hit the ad break and we'll get back and talk more uh, of our analysis i guess of formula one Advanced security must be enabled
2: in the panoramic Wi-Fi app. Restrictions apply.
1: Okay, welcome back. Next up, we got product experience. Um, we're not racers, I guess, so it's tough to get the product experience, but any ankle evidence, uh, Ian, you have anything on this?
0: Uh, like I mentioned at the top of the show, I, I really love the first episode of the, the Netflix documentary, and I'm looking forward to diving more into it. It's a, it's the type of sport I could definitely see myself getting into. Um, if I have enough time to squeeze another sport into my life but it was um, it's really it's really cool I think
1: yeah so it's one of those I mean you can be pretty casual it seems like there's only maybe an event once every two weeks on a Sunday morning spending an hour watching yeah I mean anecdotally a lot of people I know have been watching it now so I don't know Ryan Uh,
2: I mean the event in Monaco looked like heaven Uh, that just looks like (laughs)
1: they spend a lot of money which is good at Formula (laughs) 1
2: yeah uh, anytime there's a big race, there's just something uh, sort of monumental uh, that it kind of brings this like feeling that like everyone everyone's eyes are on it, especially when yeah. you put it in big cities like Rio and there's uh, Singapore. It's fun to watch, even yeah. as, even as someone who's not that
0: into cars, it's fun to watch. Yeah,
1: after three months, I'd say I'm not an expert, but you can you can pretend to be one on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah,
0: I would just say too. I I think one of the things that's interesting to me. Um, and I haven't, like I said, I haven't spent a lot of time studying this sport, but it's just how, um, much strategy there is. And the race is almost a formality at the end of the day, right? They're doing all this work up front to, um, try and get a good position for qualifying. And, and yeah, you can move around in the race and you have to be, um, on your game in the race or you're going to lose, lose position, but the, just how much of how much work up front there is to, to kind of determine where your spot is in the league. It's almost like there's these huge teams of hundreds or even thousands of people working on the cars and trying to get everything fine-tuned. And it's just, there's so much strategy in it that it was, it's really interesting to me in addition to the car aspect of it.
2: And how important people other than the driver are. Uh, The
1: engineering team, yeah.
2: Yeah, man, you you watch it on the show. Like someone forgot to tighten a bolt on a tire Uh, enough and suddenly uh the race is done. Your
1: heart, yeah, your heart sinks. You feel so bad for them. And I think, you know, yeah, the qualifying is big too. They're trying to make that Saturday event. It's more of a thing. I think they're changing up the rules on that, doing like a hundred, hundred kilometer sprint or something. I don't know the exact rules, but they're trying to make that more exciting. Mm -hmm. Um, All right, let's not belabor that section. Competitive advantages. Ian, what do you have? I know it's interesting. It's a sport. So what are your thoughts? Yeah,
0: Yeah. well, it's going to turn out, I am kind of going to belabor that point because my competitive advantage is adrenaline um yeah. it's kind of a bizarre one but i think it's real i watched the first couple minutes or the first the whole episode of that netflix series and you just see the car zooming by and it's just like wow those yeah, guys are flying camera, like- yeah you have the cockpit camera you're seeing these cars spin around the corners you know spin out even bump each other sometimes and it's just it, it gets your it gets your heart heart rate going um the sounds the imagery the drama it's just exciting and I don't think this is entertainment that's going to lose its luster. And especially as they continue to innovate, it's just, there's just so much adrenaline there. It's, it's really, it's an exciting sport.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think it's really similar. I'll add uh, their top speed in formula one is faster than NASCAR and stuff like that. And so, and I've heard from people that were never car fans or anything like that, never race car type fans. They're like, Oh, that's not a sport. There's just a bunch of people driving. And then you go to an event and you're like, okay, that is insanely hard to do, and it's and one they're of all tight, like capturing.
1: Yeah, they're a foot away from each other, clipping them. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Ryan, what, what, what's yours? I think we all have similar competitive advantages.
2: Uh, it's an iconic brand. I don't. You can't replicate what they've done, and the history and culture is a huge part of it. Uh, it's a lot like any big sports league. It's really hard to just. The only way I think a league dies is on its own,
1: or if, like the number one team leaves.
2: Yeah. But you've, like yeah. And it's just like it, it's you have to sort of kill the league like you have to do things to sort of sabotage yourself instead of like if I just started a Formula One competitor, yeah. I, no one would care.
1: I mean, even like Major League Baseball has made plenty of blunders over the last decade and there's no one even close to competing with them. And like Ferrari is like the Yankees, if they decided to leave, that would be hit like half of the fans are Ferrari fans. So, yeah. But I mean, there's no, there's no way Ferrari would leave.
2: Exactly. All right. What about you?
1: Um, yeah. I mean, I just think, you know, just like you guys, history, rights, scale, uh, you know, it's hard to quantify, but it's like with other sports, football, soccer, basketball, all these leagues, switching costs are extremely high for everyone in it. You need everyone to leave, which means that you can't just have one person leave. You need you know anyone that has any part of the value chain. Um you know, the big question is not really is the durability of the growth. It's not the moat. It's, it's the industry is durable and there's a moat, but the question is how much can they grow as a sports league? And I guess we'll hit that next with future growth opportunities. Uh, Ian, what do you have here?
0: For me, Formula One is just a content machine. Um, The Netflix documentary I think is a great start of, of that and just, really shows the power that telling a good story and having an exciting sport can have for you. Um, but the, the possibilities are out there. They're already doing some of this, but podcasts, movies, esports, merchandise, um, even with the rise in sports gambling in the United States, they've been citing a lot of their fantasy numbers and how many people are playing fantasy formula one. I would like um, that. Yeah. That'd be fun. Yeah. And I just, there's just so much you can do when you have a good content product like that and so many different ways you can monetize it. And as far as the eSports goes, um, they have a Formula One video game. And in 2020, there was 273,000 participants in the Pro Series qualifying rounds of the Formula One eSports League um 273,000. That number jumped up to nearly 500,000 in 2021. So rapidly growing. It's the type of sport that really lends itself I think to esports. Yeah. Um people can drive, you can get these big driving simulators and they have like a Formula 1 league where the 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 esports drivers are starting to become known themselves. Um And it's just, it's really, I think it's a cool thing. And it's also something that the real drivers, and I know Netflix experiment, or not Netflix, NASCAR experimented with this a little bit of having the real drivers actually drive in simulators during the pandemic. And I think Formula One has that capability too, where the drivers um, can drive in these simulators and play the video game as well, almost as well as they can probably drive because of the similarities. And so it's just, it, it seems like a great fit for an e-sport and they, they're really making good moves there. And I think they'll just continue to crank out good content and, and uh, be able to monetize in a ton of different ways.
2: Yeah. yeah or go ahead. Uh, go ahead. I want to be surprised if gaming, like gaming broadly made up a decent portion of its revenue in and the next five yeah, to 10 yeah.
1: years. I put two notes on that. EA sports just brought the right, bought the rights to formula one. I think that gives them a lot of, eh. You might not think it matters who owns it, but EA Sports has the best track record of building these global sports video games. I think it's a good hands with them, and they just announced this small thing with uh, Free Fire, the big C Limited game that's huge in Southeast Asia and Latin America. I believe. I don't know anything about the game, but they did something with Formula One to get like McLaren drivers and the McLaren cars on there. There's a lot of opportunity for you know F1 stuff and maybe Roblox or stuff like that, racing games licensing for all the you know, the Formula One styles and items and stuff like that. Uh, but Formula, Ryan,
2: Formula One, Mario Kart. That Mario of. Kart, yeah, <laughs>
1: that's a little different. We'll, we'll, we'll see. But uh, yeah, Brian, uh, right. what are
2: yours? Uh, getting a Chinese driver into Formula One. So, Find Me Value. Uh, he had some good slides on the company, uh, and I recommend going and looking at it. And this is a growth opportunity that he talked about. But it could spur a lot of adoption uh, of Formula One across China since it gives Chinese consumers sort of a like a home team to root for. Uh, and right now I'm probably going to butcher this name, but Guan Zhao uh, is currently yeah. in Formula 2 or F2, um, and he's working to secure his license to drive an F1. Uh, more viewers means more revenue uh, using China as a market. To, uh, that's a huge untapped market. Um, for sure,
1: for sure. And think about it, uh, if you were say, listening to this, you're from the United States, if there was a US driver, which there isn't one currently, I mean, you probably root for him or her. Or her. I guess it's just yeah. there's there's, uh, there's no woman in right now, but the yeah,
2: it's kind of like the Olympics.
1: It's the Olympics. It's why I think there's a huge want in soccer to get the U.S. team up and running because they want that U.S. fan base. Yeah, you know, it's the same type of deal. Um, all Hit Mind it is making the move into the United States. So there's a race coming to Miami in 2022 with a 10-year agreement. Seems like the perfect city. They could probably do Vegas in Miami. Um, and that seems like the, the perfect combo right now. The other one's in Austin. That seems solid, but I mean, it seems like Vegas and Miami are the two best ones. Yeah. And the Netflix series did create a rapidly growing fan base. You've seen recently, this is a bit anecdotal, uh, Barstool with the number one sports podcast had Christian Homer on the show. So they're going to get their fans into it. The Ringer, uh, one of their popular shows, like the the Ryan Rosillo show. I think it's like third or one of the top five sports podcast is getting into it as well so that could bring extra growth for a younger audience it's really hard to quantify it but the sport yeah i don't think there's any way around it it's definitely growing in the united states right now yeah all right uh highlights and lowlights to close things out ian what are your thoughts
0: the highlights for me start with the sport and the excitement of it you can't really match that at least in any of the other um in any of my other holdings about just how cool it is, like how cool of a business it is, right? It's just cool in every aspect of that word. Um, I think um, there's a couple more highlights though, or if the sport were to expand to the US and China in a big way and gain some big viewership there, there's a lot of potential upside in those markets. And it's a content machine, as I mentioned. Um, I think it's got some, it's gonna be a steady grower, I think with some upside potential of China and uh, the US really take off. EBITDA margins of about 20% forecasted to grow to about 26% by 2023. So um, even some improve a little bit of improving profitability in the next couple of years forecasted. The lowlights for me, the big thing is um, the debt, just a lot of debt. And I don't know if I understand the business well enough to be comfortable with um, paying half their EBITDA towards debt every single year. Um, and then secondly, I'm, you know, I think another potential low lie is that the sport just doesn't catch on in China and America. And so it, it never has that yeah, real, really big anyways. upside that it could, could have, but anyways.
1: Yeah. And I guess uh, we mentioned the big variable costs from the team, but they do have some fixed costs with logistics. Those are going to probably stay around the same each year from traveling people everywhere. And then the fixed costs, fixed costs of running, running the events. So that could help with the margins.
0: Yeah. And I think the last, the other piece of the EBITDA margins is just the more they do, they get this tangential revenue from the stuff, from the content, from the Netflix documentary, from the esports. that's higher margin business than the actual, um, than the core business of the racing and selling tickets and stuff like that. So um, I think that there's, I think that's where some of that EBITDA margin growth is coming to. For sure. Sure. Ryan, what are your thoughts?
2: Um, uh, It's a super unique asset um there is sort of that moat that we talked about it's also seems kind of it seems like it's one of those businesses that's actually really enjoyable to be a part of um my low light though is that there's limited operating leverage just because you're capped on the amount of races you can do you have to pay out a certain amount to your players or teams um and you can't just add a bunch of more teams because that kind of ruins the prestige or the value of being in the league. Um, So it's a little bit like Spotify in that way. I'd also say I'm not a fan of leagues being public. I'm not a fan of when sports intermingle with the public markets. And the reason I say that is because it's sort of, when push comes to shove, the integrity of the game is always gonna supersede shareholders and the fans are always gonna be more important um, and That's while it might Super be fun, league, yeah. yeah, Super League's like the prime example. Um, when you try to maximize sort of revenue for whoever has money invested in the business, it's real easy to just point your finger and say, you know, we're not corporate. This is a sports league. There's just that risk, I guess, uh, with uh, Formula One.
1: Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, highlights for me, uh, the growing brand with minimal competition, like you guys said. They have a new Concord agreement, which is the team and league agreement like each league has. They just call it the Concord agreement. Uh, And the details are unknown, like a lot of these things. But management said it's a better deal for them. It goes through 2025 and it gives them a lot more upside, I think. And again, these are unknowns. You can't really bank on this. If, say, the league grows a lot, there might be a tiny bit of, say, all right, the teams get less of the percentage as you get bigger. But there's still that variable cost in line. Um, I like the growth of the sport in the U.S., growth of sports broadcasting rights around the globe is very important to them. Those are very valuable assets. You can see ESPN Plus or somewhere like that throwing a lot of money to get Formula One exclusive on its platform. Um, Getting that Chinese driver could be good. They have F1 TV that is going direct to consumer. That's an OTT service for the diehard fans. And then with their deal in the US, and I don't know where, ESPN might just be in the US. So they have a short deal with ESPN right now that can be renegotiated with the growth of say, Drive to Survive and Miami in 2022. So that opens them up to way better broadcasting rights in 2022 and 2023. That can give them a step change up in revenue, depending on how well things go in the US. Low well, life for me, you know, ceiling on the growth for a sports league. As an investor, you're, you're basically hoping for like low growth, and something that's possibly a permanent asset, something that can be around for a hundred years and that they'll continually buy back shares as kind of Liberty yeah. Media or Liberty, you know, these type of, uh, this management team, this group of sh- big shareholders is, you know, is known to do. Um, all right, more or less interested, Ian, kick things off for us.
0: I'm less interested, but it's a tough one for me because I like I like the sport, I think. Uh, so far, everything I know about the sport, I like it. Um, it's interesting to me. I think it's going to continue to grow in popularity, but I'm not sure it has enough growth in it to really be a great grower. And I'm not sure it's has enough of a, um, it's, it doesn't seem like a bargain right now, either valuation wise, like it seems reasonably priced. Um, but it just doesn't quite have, um, a super attractive return to me. Now that being said, I'm not going to get on anybody for investing in this. It it seems like a like it's the time of thing. sports leagues over time, just about every single one of them has gotten rapidly more valuable um, yeah. over the last 30, 40, 50 years. And a lot of that's due to like TV rights and stuff like that. And if there's going to be a catalyst like that, that continues to grow formula one could be a huge winner, but um, it, it, it just doesn't quite get there for me. Yeah. Ryan,
2: I'm a little less interested. Uh, I would love to be Greg Muffy or a large shareholder in the company i'd love to be john milan that life seems great but i don't know if i'd want to i don't think you get in that position by owning more mature assets like this um i guess i'm just there's there's limited growth
1: yeah well let's say it's growth I and mean, you guys might be underestimating the growth um you know the nfl could be worth 100 billion if F1, they have close to 500 million fans now, if that gets to a billion like some of the most popular leagues and they really get the numbers better. Yeah, there's less events than the NFL. I think there's potential, but yes, there is the limited upside. There is the debt. I'd say I'm slightly more interested just because of the permanency of the asset. Um, valuation's tough. Valuation is definitely tough. You can kind of maybe see through to where they're training at maybe you know, 20, 23 multiples, like 20, you know 15 times earnings, maybe if they execute, but... With something that's low growth at the at a higher multiple, that does make it tough. If say you know right now we're young, we're, we're a little broke, but say if you had a fun portfolio, you know yeah. stuff like Ferrari, Callaway for me.
2: This uh, would be in there. This for is sure. so
1: in the fun portfolio. I have a friend that he may or may not be listening, but he's just like, yeah, I'm gonna invest in Callaway. Ferrari, Formula One. And I was like, "That sounds fun. Go, go right ahead and do that." that, that, yeah. that fun portfolio. Uh, you know, this this makes it in.
2: Yeah, and I, and I'm, with with if, if they hit on some of those growth opportunities we talked about, this could definitely outperform the market.
1: For sure, for sure. Ian, anything else before we close things out? Nope. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this episode. As always, use our code CCM. Stock
2: for next week. Stock
1: for oh yeah, right, right, right.
2: Corsair Gaming. Okay. Corsair Gaming. They supply uh, premium uh, streamer like equipment and gear and stuff like that. So PCs, keyboards, the hard mics. There's software to it as well. Software component, kind of interesting. It's a little mini conglomerate in that space.
1: In the in the the, we like the video game industry is interesting. All right, yeah. False start on the end here, as always. Make sure to subscribe to 7investing. Use our code CCM to get $10 off your first month. Remember, we are not financial advisors. Anything we say on this show is not formal advice or recommendation. Ryan and I are general partners at Arch Capital. Clients in Arch Capital may hold securities discussed in this podcast. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you next time.